Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, it's my distinct honor to welcome Cameron Huddleston to the show. She is a journalist and a money expert. That's what she writes on most if not all the time. Is that fair to say, Cameron? All the time. All the time. She lives, eats, and breathes personal finance and writing about it. And she has an incredible book out, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. Now, this is not just coming out of being a journalist. This is coming out of her lived experience as well. And I imagine quite a bit of research that went background into how to do this well. So, Cameron, I can't wait for you to walk us into how to talk with mom and dad about their finances. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. So uh, tell the listeners just a little bit about your professional background and what you're up to these days. Sure. So I have been a personal finance journalist for more than 20 years. Like you said, I write about money all of the time, and I have been writing about money for a long time. My book, actually came out in 2019. And since then, I have been very much focused on family money conversations and helping people have these conversations. I still do this now through my work at a company called Careful, which is a digital platform that was built to help protect aging adults' daily finances and also to help foster better communication with family caregivers who are helping them with their daily money matters. And so I am, I am deep into family money talks. So you were saying just before we record that I want to make sure people know, here the website very clearly, careful, C-A-R-E-F-U-L-L.com, yes. double L. Yeah, actually it's getcareful.com with two L's, like you said. Okay, getcareful.com. And this the whole focus of that website even is around caregiver conversation, supporting elders in their fi personal finances. So just yes. chop full of resources there. Yes. Yes. So we do, we do have, um, it is a, it's a service that we offer direct to consumers. And so older adults can sign up. It's account, credit, identity monitoring. Or if you are a caregiver for a parent or an aging loved one, you can sign up for that loved one and see all accounts in one place and get alerts when careful spots, money mistakes and unusual activity in those accounts, just making your job easier. Um, I heard that because caring for aging parents is a lot of work, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> it is. It is. It is so stressful. It is such an undertaking because it's different from caring for children. And I say this from experience, because I have three children. With your kids, you are the parent. You are in the role of authority, and you can tell your kids what to do. Do they always listen? No. But when you're <laughs> right. trying to step into that role of almost being like a parent to your parents, 
there's that role reversal and your parents don't necessarily want to hear their kids telling them what to do, especially when it comes to their finances. And so that's why even having conversations with your parents about their finances can be a challenge. Man, I am feeling the anxiety spiking in my body as we talk. And I do this for a living too, right? I'm a huge advocate for family money conversations. So now before we get into the meat of that, I want to go back a little bit in time. How did you get so interested in writing about personal finance? What What's the story there that led you into this work initially? <laughs> uh, well, it, it sort of happened by chance because uh, I, I didn't, you know, grow up thinking, oh, I want to write about money when I get older. I did know that I wanted to be a journalist. I knew this in high school. So when I went to college, I was, uh, you know, I was a journalism major and I worked as a journalist for a variety of different outlets. And then I ended up working at Dow Jones Newswires as a business reporter, but I had no background in business. I didn't (laughs) I hadn't taken any economics classes, any statistics classes, any sort of business classes. And I thought, well, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to, um, you know, get a better background in this area. Now, I, they teach you everything on the job. They really do. And so, but the thing is, I felt like I wanted to have a better understanding because I really wanted to cover the economy. And so American University in Washington, D.C., where I was living at the time, had a... Um, a master's program where you could choose a specialty. So not just journalism, but you could choose an area of expertise and they had an economic journalism program. And I was like, Oh, this is perfect. And uh, it also helped that I had a really good free economics tutor because my husband was getting a PhD in economics at Georgetown university at the same time. So I was like, I got this. (laughs) I love it. Love it. So I did that. I entered the program in 2000, graduated in the summer of 2001 as we were heading into an economic downturn. And so I could not get my job back at Dow Jones because they had a hiring freeze. Really wanted to work at Bloomberg. They also had a hiring freeze. But Kiplinger's personal finance magazine was looking for an editor for its website, Kiplinger.com. And uh, someone at um, American University had a connection there and put me in touch with them, and they were willing to take a chance on me, even though I had not written about personal finance. And I just, I stuck with it. That's incredible. So you, you have this big transition into writing about business and, and finance, and then you go and get the, was it a graduate degree in economic journalism? Yeah, master's, master's in economic journalism. That's so cool. And then simultaneously, your husband is working on his PhD in economics. So did he have like a undergrad in economics? And Yes. Undergrad, master's, and then graduate degree. Yes. I bet you guys have some interesting conversations around the dinner table. <laughs> well, can you imagine what it's like to be our kids? <laughs> oh, I, I have a hunch, but I... You know, it's funny, though, because at, at least as I understand, economists... They're money people, but they see the world very differently than like personal finance people. Like there's a Venn diagram, there's some overlap, but like what they're concerned about and thinking about is very different than someone that's writing for personal finance. 
Yes, um, but my husband is a whiz with spreadsheets, and so you know, anytime uh, there's a conversation about money, he's like, "Well, let's get out the spreadsheet and let's see." <laughs> <laughs> what do the numbers tell us? Yes, what do the numbers tell us? Let's take all the emotion out of it and let's focus on the numbers. Mm-hmm. So let me guess, that works really well for talking with your parents about their finances, right? You just get the spreadsheets out to talk to mom and dad. Is that the technique we're going for? <laughs> no, it's oh. not. It's oh. not. No. Okay. I mean, you could try the spreadsheet. In fact, I have, um, I do have some friends whose parents are open enough about their finances that they keep a spreadsheet and share it with their kids regularly whenever they make changes to that spreadsheet so the kids are updated. But most parents are not going to be like that. Most people are not like that. So I would say that seems like probably the exception, not the rule. Yes, it is. Okay. So we're fast forward through life. You're going along and you end up finding yourself needing to take care of your mom's finances because of her changing health and into Alzheimer's. Walk us into that story a little bit. Yes. So uh, when I was 35 years old and my mom was 65 and she was living on her own, She and my dad had gotten divorced, and my father had actually passed away. Um, She started showing signs of memory loss and was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And Mm. uh, actually, you know, when when I started noticing these signs of memory loss, the first thing that went through my mind was, oh my gosh, I've got to get her in to meet with an attorney to update her legal documents, her estate planning documents, so that I have the right to make financial decisions and medical decisions for her. I knew this because I was a personal finance journalist. Right, right. Okay, yep. The professional but, c- career is paying off a little right. bit here. Uh huh. And actually, I had had a conversation with her a few years before she started experiencing memory loss about long-term care insurance. Because I had written articles about it, and I said, Mom, you should look into long-term care insurance to pay for long-term care if you ever need it. And she took my advice, but she couldn't get it because she had another pre-existing health condition Uh that made her too high risk. And I could have used that opportunity to say, okay, mom, so you can't get long-term care insurance. Let's talk about other ways that you could pay for long-term care if you needed it. Let's talk about what sort of care you would want. But I didn't. I just, I didn't even realize that I needed to be having that conversation with her. And Mm. so when she was showing signs of memory loss and I had to scramble to get her in to meet with an attorney, I also had to play detective to figure about the details of her finances as she was forgetting those details herself. And so it was a, it was a really difficult situation. And of course, in retrospect, I say, you know, I can say, yeah, I should have had conversations with her before there was that health issue, because if you wait until there's emergency, which is what most of us want to do, right? Right. Why have this conversation until it's necessary? But if you're waiting for that emergency, then of course, emotions are going to be running higher then. You're not thinking as rationally. You don't want to talk about financial stuff at that time. You're just trying to deal with the crisis at hand. And so then a situation that's already difficult becomes that much more stressful because as the adult child, you might not have the information you need. You might not have the legal authority to get involved with your finance, your parents' finances or their medical care, you know, and then that creates an even more difficult situation. And so I'm like, have these conversations now. Don't wait. So I imagine to some extent, 
folks don't even know what conversations to have and then how to have them effectively. So there's, those are at least two big parts. Is there another part that I'm missing before we kind of unpack those two pieces? I think one of the biggest issues is the fear. People, um, if they realize they need to have the conversation, they're afraid to have the conversation for a variety of reasons. And I think oftentimes we blow those fears out of proportion. And uh, we don't, you know, like we get uh-huh. ourselves all worked up. Oh my gosh, this conversation is going to be so bad because mom and dad are going to get mad at me. They're going to think I'm being greedy. They're going to think I'm being nosy. You know, they're going to not ever talk to me again because they're so offended that I asked them about their finances. Mm, yeah, yeah. All sound familiar. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. Right, right. But the truth is, if you approach these conversations out of love and respect, and you let your parents know that you're looking out for their best interest, they're probably not going to think that you're being greedy or nosy. They're not going to get mad and send you off to your room. You're an adult. They might be a <laughs> Wait, little... <laughs> say that one again. Say that because I think we do need to hear that. They're not going to send you off to your room. They're not going to ground you. You're an adult, but they might be a little bit surprised that you're asking about their finances. But like I said, if you approach this in the correct way, it's probably not going to lead to a fight with your parents. Mm. Just a big confidence boost and nudge there. Like, you can do this. You can do it. It's going to be okay. Our you know, our propensity towards fear, man, once we start down that fear train, it's all bets off of how, how bad it will get. Uh, I like to say we can go into full catastrophic thinking pretty easily. Right, right. And so then if you let yourself go down that path, then you're going to talk yourself out of having the conversation. Uh, of course, because of if course. you're afraid you're going to be sent to your room, which your parents already redecorated and don't have because they've changed three houses since you left... <laughs> But that's also part of the psychology of all this is that we have this long relational history with our parents and any part of the memory continuum can get evoked even when we're now trying to relate as adults to our parents that are aging, right? Exactly, right? All sorts of issues can come up. But, you know, I I say this all the time, as awkward as these conversations might seem, the consequence of not having them is really much worse. You know, mom has had a stroke. She's in the hospital. You have not been named her financial power of attorney. You have not been named her medical power of attorney. The doctor's not going to talk to you. You can't make sure the bills get paid because you can't access her bank account. Now you have to go to court to petition to become your mom's conservator and guardian so you can make medical decisions for her and so you can access her bank account. Essentially, you're putting mom on trial to prove that she's no longer competent. You're spending thousands of your own dollars and months and months of your time. And like I said, you've put your parent on trial to prove that they're no longer competent. It's a horrible situation. Um, Or maybe your parent has died and there's no will and you've got to settle the estate, and you don't know what sort of accounts they have, what sort of assets they have. Other family members are coming out of the woodwork, trying to get their share of the money, and you're back in court fighting over who gets what. You know, So really, these consequences of not having this conversation can be pretty bad. So that really, you're talking about family members coming out of the woodworks, and 
I'm wondering about in this process of talking with mom and dad about their finances, what role does getting your siblings involved in the conversation come to play? Because I, my experience says there's often that one child who's the over-functioning responsible type that usually gets stuck holding the bag for this. Well, the other siblings are, I air quote, scot free from worrying about this. <laughs> you're, you're laughing. So I'm guessing I am, you see I am this too. I am so glad you asked this question because in my book, I tell people that they should actually talk to their siblings before they talk to their parents, because you want to get on the same page with your siblings before having this conversation with mom and dad. If you go to your parents without talking to your siblings first, then they might be resentful. They might be suspicious that you're trying to get in good with mom and dad so you can get everything when they're gone. Replaying all those old sibling, like who's the favorite sibling? Right. right. It's like, I mean, let's be honest. We don't really grow outgrow that. Oh, no. I mean, most of us don't. I mean, maybe there's a few souls that like truly have arrived at maturity and think, and they know mom and dad love all the kids equally, but there's a lot of us that are not there. You are right. And so you want to call up your siblings, have a family meeting with them and say, okay, I think we need to have a conversation with mom and dad about their finances. Do we all want to do it? Or is it just going to be one of us? When do we want to have this conversation? How do we want to start the conversation? And you also want to discuss what roles each of you is willing to play in your parents' lives as they age. And so that if you can sort this out beforehand and you go to your parents as a united force, it's going to make it easier for your parents to open up to you because a lot of times parents are reluctant to share details with their kids because they don't want their kids to end up fighting. Which is the other side of it, right? This is what right. stops parents is they don't want to... Right. Oh, if I start talking about my kids, you know, my kids are going to want to know who's getting what, and then it's just going to lead to a bunch of fights. And so forget it. I'm not going to have this conversation. All the time. So how? So kind of playing the other side for a moment, what can mom and dad start to do to try to balance the scales amongst their adult children? And can we add a layer of complexity? Let's just be honest. We're talking about this as, as if it's just a nuclear family, one mom and dad and the kids. But the reality is most families are actually blended families. Right. Where you have step-siblings and half-siblings that are involved in this process. And that only adds layers of complexity. It can get very complicated very quickly. And so, you know, that's why it is important to to start with the siblings and have these conversations. I would caution people, though, if you have siblings who are going to sabotage the conversation, you know, maybe it's because they they have some serious financial troubles or they have serious mental health issues or maybe they even have criminal record. It happens a lot more than we... Let's just be honest. I don't know the statistics, but the number of families where at least one family member has a criminal history is a lot higher than what polite society would lead you to believe. You don't need to necessarily include those siblings in the conversation. If you have siblings who don't want to participate, that's okay. You don't want to force them to participate. But I do think it's a good idea after you do talk to mom and dad, just to reach out and let them know that you've had the conversation. Keep them updated so that down the road, if they decide they want to get involved, there isn't any sort of lingering resentment there or, you know, like, oh, well, you never told me anything and now I want to know. I mean, you can say, well, yes, I did. I did tell you. (laughs) 
Right. Well, and because I think this is at least another part that I've come to appreciate is that the the state planning documents can't reconcile the emotional differences. Right? They they can declare how assets and responsibility are supposed to flow, but they can't reconcile emotional differences. That's where having these conversations is so very critical. Yes. But I also want to point out that if there are a lot of issues in your family, you know, it's not your job to be a therapist to your siblings or to your parents. And if and if it's a really tricky situation like that, then it can be a good idea to get a third party involved. Maybe reaching out to a counselor or even um, there. There's a whole profession that is geared toward. Uh, helping older adults as they age. They are called geriatric care specialists or aging life care specialists. And so uh-huh. if your parents are already needing some help, you know, getting that person who specializes in aging care involved to help facilitate those conversations can be a good idea. Yeah, I really appreciate you naming that because it's not just therapists, but there's the whole field of gerontology and then there's these subspecialties. And so geriatric care specialists are folks that have probably training and kind of counseling skills and advanced aging issues they understand. I mean, I don't even know the right words because it's not my area of specialty, but they can help facilitate some of these hard conversations too. So if you're finding you're stuck in opening up the conversation with your siblings about caring for aging mom and dad or talking with mom, bringing in an outside party really is a very healthy, normal, good thing to do. Right. Yes. Yes. Or even if it's a, a financial advisor, maybe your parents are working with a financial advisor. And so you ask mom and dad, hey, can I come along with you to some meetings with your financial advisor just so that I can get some information I need about your financial picture in case I ever need to get involved. Or maybe you are working with a financial advisor and you want to invite your parents in and that financial advisor can help facilitate those conversations. Getting that third party involved can be a really good idea if you have parents who are reluctant to have these conversations or if you've got siblings who are difficult to talk to. You know, it's funny. I have to say this. And with all due respect to any financial advisors that are listening, I'm, I'm I'm thinking some of them are squirming in their seats a little bit. <laughs> and they don't want to play counselor. And so. <laughs> no, because they, they, they don't. And oftentimes they, this has really kind of been a big part of my own journey, right? Is going from financial planner into family therapy and couples therapy is I had no idea how to navigate family dynamics, my own or anybody else's. And that skill set of facilitating family conversation is so important. And some advisors have an intuitive, instinctual approach to be able to get through that. But not all financial planners feel that way or are comfortable with those conversations. So that's you know, just something to keep in mind is uh, asking the, the advisor, especially if they're your own advisor, like, is this something you would be comfortable helping facilitate? Right. Yeah, I see your smile is laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, ask. I would say ask first. Don't just spring it. <laughs> Don't just spring it. Surprise, my mom and dad came to the meeting. Can you talk, help me talk to them about them? I mean, I I think most people would not probably do that. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning. 
bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. Has your mom passed? Yes, she did in uh, January 2021. Okay, so... Relatively recently. Relatively recently. You've been on this big journey and you've packaged it. Your book came out the when? 2019. So if you were to go back and add a chapter or two now that your mom's passed, what would you, what would you add? Oh, geez. I, I, you know, it's not so much adding a chapter. What, I, what I've been thinking about is doing the, uh, the flip side of the conversation. A kids we need to talk what your adult children need to know about your finances. So writing a book geared toward the older adults so that they can have this conversation with their kids. I'm getting it from both angles. You know, if the kids aren't going to have the conversation, I want the adults to have the conversation. The point is families need to have these conversations. Doesn't matter who initiates it, but (laughs) someone's got to. And for families that you see opening up these types of conversations and hear about, what do you notice, what changes for them when when they really embrace this process that as a family, we're going to be more open about talking about our finances? Really, what it does is it reduces stress. Because if you are the parent, you are now much more assured that your kids know what your wishes are. They know how you want your finances handled if you can't do it yourself. And you know that they're going to be there to step in and help you if you need that help. If you're the child, you know what is expected of you, what role your parents are expecting you to play. And if they're expecting you to potentially play a big role, then you can start making some changes in your own financial life so that you can step into that role if necessary. And you're also going to be like, yeah, thanks for, you know, letting me know that you do have a will or a trust and that you have these documents in place and that you have a plan for your finances and retirement. Now I can rest easier knowing that you're in a good place. If they're not in a good place, then you can sit down with your parents and say, okay, let's Let's figure out a way to help you get to a better place. Let's, you know, here are some suggestions. Like, you know, this is really important. You can't go in and simply tell your parents how to run their financial lives. Oh, no. Yeah, I've seen that. You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. Even if they're doing a terrible job of managing their finances, you can't tell them, I think you need to be doing this and you're doing this all wrong. Now, what you can say is, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that you might not be able to have a comfortable retirement because you've told me that you have a lot of debt. I'm concerned that if you need some sort of long-term care, that you're not going to have a way to pay for it, and I'm going to have to be the one to care for you. And the reason I'm concerned is because I am not in a place financially to support you. I am not in a place to provide any care you might need because I have my own children who need care for me and I can't quit my job because they're counting on me. So that can be the conversation, letting them know that you're concerned for whatever reason you might be concerned, but you can't just say, hey, you're doing a bad job and I need to tell you how to to do it better. 
Yeah, I think, right, because that's part of the respecting your parents for who they are and who they've been. And if they've been managing their money in a particular way for decades, it's unlikely that you just coming in and telling them to do it different is going to have any impact except for creating resentment and dis- distance. Right. But then what you went on, I think you went on to say was you can also own your own concern about it and your own limitations and put those on the table because, and this kind of speaks to those getting the expectations of each other out on the table because we hold expectations of what role we think we're going to be in or our parents are holding those expectations, but if they're unspoken, then they get sprung on us when they happen. Right. In fact, their Fidelity Investments did a survey along these lines and surveyed older adults and found that a majority of them do expect their children to serve as the executor of their state, to help care for them if they need care, to get involved with their finances if they need it. But most adult children haven't had this conversation with their parents and don't realize that their parents had these expectations. And so, like you said, it sprung on you. Wait, oh, wait, what? You, you were, you name me your power of attorney, and now I have to manage your finances because you can't do it yourself. But I have no idea where you even bank. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like you've given the key, your kids, the keys to the car, right? But you haven't taught them how to drive. Oh, that's a what a great analogy. It- And, you know, this is part of the challenge, right? And I guess this is where the professionalization of some of this work comes into play is uh, most parents also don't, I guess, I don't know that this is true. Anecdotally, parents don't teach their teenagers how to drive or they only take part of that responsibility because they don't want the stress of having to figure it all out. And so we kind of circle back to hiring your financial planner, hiring a therapist or hiring a, a geriatric care specialist to help you learn how to have these conversations. But it just reminds me that money conversations are a lifelong journey. And the money conversations you need to have keep evolving and updating as you move along the course of life. So as part of your financial life cycle is learning, continuing to learn how to have different types of money conversations. But I would imagine there's some real core skills, no matter what stage of life you're in, that would be really helpful. (laughs) In having these conversations, I think... First, it's important to realize that the sooner you start attempting to have these conversations, the better, because it can take time for your parents to be willing to open up. And so you might have to take really little bitty baby steps. <laughs> you right. know, and maybe it's just starting by talking to your parents about scams, because we can all be Scanned. victims. We can all be scammed, right? And so that's a really easy way to start the conversation. Hey, I just got this call from someone claiming to be with the IRS. Have you gotten calls like this? I want you to know that anytime you get a call from someone claiming to be with a government agency, it's a scam because government agencies aren't going to call you. If you get a call from someone asking you to wire money or pay with a gift card, it's a scam. could start that way, you know? And then maybe you're talking about something else that's a really easy topic, like, hey, I found this great app to help me save money on travel, or I found a great way to save money on groceries because, you know, with inflation, we're all having to spend a lot more money at the supermarket. And so your parents are probably open to hearing some tips from you on how to save money at the supermarket. You know, finding an easy way to start the conversation as opposed to maybe saying, hey, 
um, do you have a will and what am I getting? You don't want to start it that way because you're going to come <laughs> off as sounding greedy or how much money have you saved for retirement or how much debt do you have? How much money do you have in your bank account? You don't want to ask about dollars and cents because that will put them on the defensive. It's going to make them uncomfortable. Um, another easy way to start the conversation, especially if you're younger, in your 20s, your 30s, is to ask your parents for advice because parents love giving their kids <laughs> advice. Hey, I just got a new job and I can save for retirement through a 401k at work. Do you think this is a good idea? How did you save for retirement? Or I just got married. Do I need a will? Do I need life insurance now? Oh, do you happen to have a will, mom and dad? Where is it? Do you have other estate planning documents? Where can I find them in case of an emergency? You can share stories about people you know who had to get involved with their parents' finances. You know, it can be a cautionary tale. I have a friend whose dad died and he died without a will and he was in a second marriage and it was a huge mess. Or I have a friend whose mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, but fortunately, she already knew that her mom had long-term care insurance and there was a way to pay for her care. And, you know, so far things are going pretty well. So sharing a story is a good way to start these conversations naturally. I wonder, like, kind of in that vein, like another story path that folks could open up is, you know, mom and dad, do you have, what are you seeing happen with your friends and their finances with their kids? Like, how, how are those conversations going? And, and I hadn't quite thought through that. So maybe that comes out a little rough, but there's probably something where like they're seeing and having conversations with their peers at some extent about their kids and money too, right? Like, and we're all kind of, kind of talking about it, but never talking about it directly. So I wonder like, you know, asking the parents, yeah, like, hey mom, you know, what, what have you seen your friends do around sharing financial information? And what have you heard works well or doesn't work well might be like a path you could take too. You know, what else is really good is to ask your parents about their experience with their parents. Oh, there's the money shot. Yes, especially if they have already been involved with their parents' care or finances. Hey, mom, I remember what it was like for you when your dad was sick and you were having to help take care of him. Um, and I saw how hard it was for you. And I thought maybe it would be a good idea for us to have some conversations so that, you know, if something like that were to happen for you, that I would be prepared. And I would know what sort of care you wanted, because there's a good chance that your parents have had some sort of involvement in their parents' finances. And and I think even if they didn't have involvement, they have, what we can be very sure of is your parents have feelings about how they were involved or not involved in their right. parents' finances. And so whether they were excluded or included, you can play either side and benefit from it. Because if they were excluded. Say, well, you know, maybe we can change that pattern with our generation. Right. That, the multi generational questioning always so powerful. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up. Right, and that's that can work because you know maybe their father died and they had to step in and help mom out because mom had no involvement in family finances. Right. And they had to play detective <laughs> to figure out their yeah. parents' finances to help mom. Or maybe both parents have passed away and they've had to settle estates for their parents. Or maybe they're currently caring for their own parent. Right. Right. Their parents 
your grandparents, depending on wherever, mm-hmm. don't have to have passed away already to start these questions. Right, and it's a good time if you're seeing your parents get involved yeah. in their parents' lives. Right. Then it's a good time to start the conversation. That's, that's a really prime opportunity. Yes, don't let it pass you by. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there there is always so much to these types of conversations, and um, I you know I think about. When these conversations go well, it's part of the meaning-making process too, right? And a life well well lived, and and probably even dying well. And I, you know, I don't know if I even fully know what I mean by dying well. Um, I have some loose ideas, but as I'm saying this, I see you nodding yes. And so, can you build off of what I'm I'm saying here? Yes, um, because I would agree that there is such a thing as dying well, and yeah. there is such a thing as dying poorly. And I don't mean poor financially. I mean, you die without telling anyone what your wishes are. And so if you had any particular wishes, they can't be honored because you never shared them with anyone. Um, You leave behind a mess for your loved ones to figure out at a time when they're grieving because you had no will or nothing in writing spelling out who was getting what. You didn't have a list of your assets and your accounts. And so now they're having to dig through all your files so that they can close accounts and settle debts. And um, it's when you lose someone, it's obviously very difficult, but it becomes even harder when they have left behind a financial mess for you to deal with. I was fortunate because I knew all the details of my mom's finances when she died, but it was still, it was still a lot of work dealing with closing those accounts, you know, filing a claim for life insurance benefits, you know, contacting the various companies and agencies and all All the the things, all the things. It's a lot. And so if I had to play detective to figure out the details of her finances at her time of death, it would have been that much more difficult. And so it's it's really a gift to those you leave behind to have everything planned out in order and to let your family members know, you know, what sort of planning you've done, what your wishes are, and to have those really a list. And that's one way to get around having the conversation is to just say, you know, look, mom and dad, I understand if you find it difficult to tell me this information, but at least write it down. Make a list of your accounts, your usernames, your password, your social security number, your Medicare number. Put it someplace safe with those estate planning documents. Tell me how to access it and when I'm allowed to access the list. And make sure they do have those estate planning documents. There's got to be a will or a trust, something that spells out who gets what when they die, because if you die without a will, state law determines who gets your stuff. If you, You've got to have a financial power of attorney, someone who can make financial decisions for you if you can't. You cannot sign a check for mom if she hasn't named you her power of attorney or unless you have a joint bank account with her. Um, they've got to have a medical power of attorney, someone to make medical decisions for them if they can't. They need to have a living will that spells out what sort of end-of-life medical care they do or do not want. And these documents have to be drafted and signed while they're still mentally competent. Which is the really big piece of that, right, is the mental right. competence. And that's the kind of waiting too long um, can be really very problematic. And right. I wonder, you know, 
for some parents, even just gathering all that data together, I imagine can be really quite overwhelming, right? There's a lot of pieces of information and depending on how they're oriented in the world, just having all their information in one place can feel like a quite a journey. And so I think you were saying earlier, Cameron, that you, this is why you want to give yourself time is because this is not something you're going to go Sunday afternoon and have a conversation with mom and then be done with it one hour later. Right. <clears throat> These are conversations and there's actions that come from it and it's going to take some time. And, you know, I'm, I am thinking about um, a family I worked with some time ago where you know, the, the adult children were ready for mom and dad to start opening up and sharing more of that financial information and some of their own anxiety and desperation to get mom and dad to share and just the sense of impatience that started to boil up. And I think that's, you know, maybe I would appreciate some insight about capacity and timing for folks that are aging and how does that change? You know, if I think, you know, when you're in your forties and fifties and maybe even your thirties, just like, go, go, go do everything fast, fast, fast. But like things really do change psychologically for folks as they're aging too, right? The pace and cadence is that, I don't want to be ageist and biased in that, but that's kind of my working assumption. I think, I think you're correct in that too. And the other issue that you run into is if you wait to have these conversations with your parents until they are a lot older, those what if scenarios are (laughs) a lot closer to actually becoming actual scenarios. And so if you're having these conversations with your parents when they're in their 50s, even their 60s, it can still be a conversation about what if. Right. What if this were to happen to you? Or, but when you're waiting and you're having this conversation with mom when she's 80 years old, she's a lot closer to the end of her life. She's a lot closer to needing long-term care, assistance with her finances. And, and she's not going to think that you're asking her about what if scenarios. She's probably thinking that you're looking at her and you're thinking to yourself, mom, is not going to be around much longer. And that might make her feel uncomfortable. And so, (laughs) you know, again, that then it becomes more of an emotional conversation as opposed to a planning conversation. And so, but like you Mm. said, it's not, it's not one conversation. You don't sit down and spend hours grilling your parents. You ease your way into it and you, you know, you know, get a little information here, get a little more information there, and then, you know, keep those lines of communication open. Now, if you have a parent who is already showing signs of memory loss or has been diagnosed with any type of dementia, you've got to get involved right away. You Don't have delay. to be. Oh, no, you cannot yeah. delay, especially if that parent is living on his or her own, because if your parent is already showing signs of memory loss, your parent is already making financial mistakes and your parent is already probably was definitely at higher risk of being exploited and might have already have been exploited. And so you have to be involved. So this, uh, do you ever have to get involved with forensic accounting? Does that ever become an issue with aging parents? Like where there's been financial crimes committed? Like, I don't know. I'm, I, you know, I talk about all kinds of stuff. So I was just thinking about that. I was like, man, if, I mean, just the risk of, of the elderly being exploited financially is so high. Oh, yes. And that's certainly one of the reasons why you want to 
have these conversations with your parents and you want to get insight into their finances while well, they are still young and healthy so that as they get older, you're more likely to spot those changes in their oh. financial behavior and in their finances. So I'll give you a couple of good examples of changes in my mom's financial behavior when she had Alzheimer's disease. She started writing checks left and right to every charitable organization that asked for money. She was a giving person, but she was not giving to every organization that asked for money. And the reason I knew this is because I started going through her mail and she was getting lots of requests. If your parents are getting lots of requests, that means they're already giving money. They have gotten on those lists and people know that they're willing to give. And so they're going to keep asking for more and more. She had lots of gifts Uh from charities calendars and those little labels, the address labels. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Blankets and I mean, all sorts of things. And, you know, I was monitoring her finances from the behind the scenes. She had not, um, she had not signed up for online banking. And that was, that was actually to my advantage because as her power of attorney, I was able to create an online online access to her bank account. And then I could just watch things and see what she was doing with her money. You know, that was one of the early ways that I got involved with her finances when she had Alzheimer's disease. Um, you know, I could also see, you know, some other signs, you know, reminder notes every where and reminder notes for things that seem pretty obvious, you know, going from organized to disorganized, um, you know, and you might, your parents might have piles of bills that they're not paying because they're not remembering to right. pay them. So you've got to be on the lookout for those, those warning signs. But there are changes in how you manage your finances, how you respond to scammers. I mean, because she was almost scammed. Someone called and claimed she had won some sort of sweepstakes and she had to pay a fee to collect her winnings. And, um, and I, I mean, I was at her house and intercepting those calls and trying to talk her down. And she's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, mom, no, this is not real. This is a scam. But that didn't sink in with her because her financial reasoning had declined as a result of Alzheimer's disease. I, I think that's such a powerful thing. And as we kind of wrap this conversation up is, Get, knowing your parents' financial baseline is kind of mm-hmm. what came to my mind is even if you can't get to the full picture right away, just starting to get some of those baseline patterns and objective kind of pieces of data of how what they're doing um, will serve as information about changes down the road and, and that awareness can be so powerful. Cameron, this has been an incredibly enlightening and supportive conversation. Your book, I'm guessing, is available in all the major retailers, including Amazon. Including Amazon. Yes. <laughs> Definitely, yes. When all else fails, Amazon. When all uh, else fails. <laughs> if people wanted to connect with you and your work, what's the best way for people to connect with you? The best way is through my website, which is CameronHuddleston.com. And uh, you can contact me through the website. There are actually links for where you can purchase the book. And I've got a couple of free resources, including a downloadable scam red flag sheet that you can print out and give to your parents. And in case of emergency organizer that you can give to them where they can write down all that information and either give it back to you or hang on to it. I love it. A couple of even worksheets. And one of them is about scams. And one of them is kind of that high level, like, yes. 
hey, mom and dad, here's a worksheet that can help you get this organized. So definitely check out the book, brace yourself, do what you need to do, but start working on those conversations with mom and dad. Cameron, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for the work that you're doing to help people with their finances and their family. Thank you. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.